0: Some of you have asked how you can help us, while most of us would say we want wine. (laughs) Italian Wine Podcast is a publicly funded, sponsor-driven enterprise that needs the moolah. You can donate through Patreon or GoFundMe by heading to italianwinepodcast.com. We would appreciate it.
1: Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Today is actually Thanksgiving Day. So happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I don't know where you are. In Italy, of course, there's no such thing as Thanksgiving. We do try to celebrate. Usually we, uh, the staff, they actually make some um, day-baked turkeys and they bring it to the office. We had a different Thanksgiving at a restaurant this year, but happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Hello, and so this is Italian Wine Club on Clubhouse. This, I believe, is our 60th, 60 plus episode on Clubhouse dedicated to the Ambassador's Corner. Ciao, Leica.
0: Ciao, Stevie 70,
1: (laughs) 70. Oh, 70th. Okay, 70th. Okay, fantastic. That's that's way, way beyond a year. Every week, as you know, we um, record the session. This is, we're using mostly as a platform now to record. And then we replay on the Italian Wine podcast. And I do believe we are the number one wine podcast in the world now. So thank you, everybody. And that's also thanks to our VIA community, all the ambassadors who participate, and all the producers that they interview, and of course, the audience that we have. It's a little quiet today, but... Let's bring on our Italian Ahmad uh, today, and that's Arlene. Hello, Arlene.
2: Hello, Stevie. Such a pleasure and so grateful to be here. Uh, it's been a long time. I know. I can't even
1: like remember it. the last time I saw you, to be quite honest.
2: I know. I, 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 I am in, um, in two places most of the time between um, North America and, and Asia. But it's such a great pleasure to be here, and on Thanksgiving Day, Happy Thanksgiving to you. Does
1: it does? Um, are you in Philippines right now?
2: I am. I am in Philippines. Do now. they
1: celebrate? I mean, there's nothing. Not, no such thing as Thanksgiving, of course, right?
2: Oh, but it's well celebrated here. Oh, really? Okay. Some, yes. So, Arlene, yes. I
1: I know you're also friends with Leica, but how how are you doing? What are you doing now? So tell me, because I haven't seen you in such a long time.
2: I know. Um, well, I'm currently based in the Philippines. I've been here from uh, February uh, as I established my own restaurant and and Bottle Shop. It's called Olive Rose Farmhouse, uh, but it's also where my micro vineyard is being cultivated. And aside from my personal venture in viticulture, I'm also overseeing and guiding other viticultural investments in, in the country. So a very interesting time for the Philippines at this point.
1: So the Olive Rose Farmhouse, it's a restaurant?
2: It is a restaurant uh, okay. that is uh, inspired by the terroir of a region outside the capital city of Manila. But it's also operated in partnerships with um, the farmers, the fishermen, and the artisans of the community. So it's it's a social enterprise in a way.
1: So what kind of wine are you producing the, in the Philippines?
2: Because we are just planting the seed for this first viticulture project, what I've been trying to do in the past months is I've been researching on what has been planted um, on the soil of the Philippines. And fortunately for me, I found uh, a few of uh, Vitis vinifera. Not the, not the There's not a lot here at this point, which is actually a more exciting time for me because I I like to... Trailblaze, And I like to create. I love the creation process. Uh, but so far, I found Muscat. Um, um, I found Rebicinia. Um, there are some Pinot Blanc around uh, the country, especially in the South. But what I'm trying to impact is um, the placements of the vines. At this point, most of the investments are on table grapes. And I think we're skipping on the potential of the soil here because we have been um, stuck on table grapes and producing wines out of tropical fruits.
1: Wow, that sounds like a big challenge you have. But ex- Arlene, I, I think you you start your fir- very first edition of Vinital International Academy. Is that correct?
2: That is accurate. Stevie. Oh, my goodness. And, so and, that's,
1: that's I, way And you know back. what?
2: It's Thanksgiving Day, C V so I must... Start with saying thank you, because once I started my career as an Italian wine ambassador, it really has paved the way for many opportunities for me, and it became life-changing. So for that, I'm very grateful to you.
1: Well, I'm grateful that you were able to join us since uh, 2015. So I hope you get a chance to come back to Italy very soon. In the meantime, you of course have Uh, You've chosen Francesca Varad as your favorite producer today. I know Francesca, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to just, you know, take my tea and listen to you guys. Why did you choose Francesca as your producer to be on the call today?
2: All the past years, particularly at the height of pandemic, in both my personal life and professional work, I have reflected more on kindness and purpose and how we can positively impact each other. So when ask of memorable wines, I have a personal list of favorites, which I love to refer to as the kind of wines. And I love to think of these wines as wines of genuine character, but also from wine producers and winemakers who are kind to the planet, kind to their employees, kind to their consumers and communities, and kind to the legacy and history of the wine grape. So, you know, we love to refer to wines as bottled poetry, but I thought, what if wine producers and wine professionals like us start thinking of wines as bottled kindness? And how do we imagine that wine to be? There is an abundance of delicious, character-filled wines in Italy, but to me, kind wines linger longer than simply the delicious wines. And when I think of the kind of wines, I'm quickly reminded of the viral wines. wine winemaking philosophy also inspired me. I remember him giving the best definition of what where post winemaking is about. On his own reflections of his winemaking career, he recalled how the vineyards could make him feel victorious at times, but also when the vineyards make him bend in humility. He said that having loved his vineyards and his job for many decades, he has recognized his purpose. And that purpose is not only to make wines, but to make wines that give joy to people, to share bottles that will create moments of happiness. He believes that through creating moments of happiness, he can make this world a better and more beautiful place. So I chose them as my favorite wine producer because I feel aligned to their ethos and values, Stevie. And that's. It sounds like you've never left Italy. In reality, I don't know. I, I love. I, I so love um, Italy, Stevie. It's it's a part of me. I when I'm asked by people, by my friends and and colleagues, um, you know, they always tell me you split your life. in in three places, and I always tell them, but I am never confused. I know that I love my birth country, and I will always feel grateful to the foundations that, that it gave me. But I will give my life for Canada because Canada opened up many opportunities for me. But Italy, to me, Stevie, is my respite. It is such a beautiful refuge, and it is really what has inspired me tremendously in life.
1: Well, that's why you make such a great Italian wine ambassador, I suppose. So, you know, we get a bit geeky around here. So uh, we do have a geeky VIA community um, as our audience. So what are the learning objectives that we should expect from you today?
2: Um, I wish to learn with with our community this evening, the distinctions of the the single crew vineyards, particularly the Brico del Viola, as well as to understand further the native grape, it is actually one of my favorite stevie um, and uh, it is behind their very successful ta wine um, of course Vira francesca's father pioneered organic practices in Piemonte in the 1970s so i believe it will be helpful to learn more on the extent of their organic practices and understand how their commitment to sustainability comes to play in an ecosystem which also prioritizes the preservation of Italian native grapes. Okay, great. So I'm
1: going to uh, to leave the mic over to you now and perhaps come back towards the end of the session.
2: Okay? Thank you so much, Stevie. Alrighty. Bye. Bye. I'd like to um, introduce Francesca Vaira of GD Vaira Wines. Francesca Vaira represents one of the most important winemaking families of Barolo and refers to herself as the front woman of G. De Vaira Barolo. The Vaira family, Francesca with siblings Giuseppe and Isidoro and parents Milena and Aldo, refer to themselves as instruments of nature and have been cultivating native grapes from a farm owned by their family since the 1920s. The family patriarch Aldo Vaira is lovingly referred to as the artisan of the land and pioneered organic viticulture in the 1970s. Although reluctant to be labeled as either traditionalist or modernist, Aldo is referred to for his dedication to preserving classic Barolo styles. The Vira family is passionately dedicated to sustainable organic vineyard practices and champions the preservation of Italian native grapes. They are known to produce some of the most memorable classic Barolo wines. The prized wines are produced from their Brico del Viollet crew known to sit on pure Tortonian soil and situated at the highest elevation among historic vineyards that looked out the alps while vira wines are recognized for their purity authenticity freshness and elegance the vira family is considered one of the best kept secrets of bimonte wine lovers who are fortunate to visit the vira estate will remember not only their wines but the genuine kindness warmth and hospitality of a family whose vineyards and winery operations provide the most convincing examples of kindness, diversity and inclusivity. It is my honor to welcome to this evening's podcast the ever-so-delightful Francesca Vaira, the incredible frontwoman of GD Vaira Barolo.
3: Grazie Erlina, grazie Stevie. Uh, it's such a joy and such an honor to be with you tonight and um... Yes, I feel even more grateful to be today on Thanksgiving Day because anytime there is is a time to to talk with you, Arlene, and and to you know to spend time with friends and above all friends that we don't see since quite a bit of time. Yet we do have the gratitude of the time we could spend together in the past. So Arlene, it's like being with you here on Brico de Levioli tonight. Thank Thank you you so much, Francesca.
2: It is such a great pleasure to be here with you on this platform. Um, So I think we'll start with a few questions coming from me. And my first question is, um, if you can, as if telekinetically, take me back to your majestic vineyards because I miss it so much and help our listeners imagine where the Vira Estate is located in Alba, Italy. Um, if you can kindly describe those vineyards, where it is, uh, where they are situated, and the kind of wines produced
3: from them. Well, uh, I was actually thinking earlier today, Arlene, uh, Probably one of the last time we saw each other was really on the top of Brico de Livioli. Correct. And uh, we did uh, the super fun uh, uh, ampelography competition.
2: Exactly. I can <laughs> and, uh, I could uh, remember that fun. vividly. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, and uh, so yeah, Brico delle Viole for the ones who are not familiar with the area. Um, so first of all, we have to think we are in Piemonte and, uh, and being the, the Bricco delle Viole among the historical crew uh, of Barolo, uh, the highest and the western, is one of those magic places where in a clear day you can, uh, you can definitely feel the embrace of the Alps. Uh, today has been one of those days. Uh, it's November, uh, so people usually expect uh, the Lange area to be very foggy. And, uh, and yes, we had some days like that, but uh, the last few days has been amazing. Uh, we do enjoy a beautiful, bright sky mm-hmm. in uh, in San Ombricco delle Viole, which is this hill facing south. What you can really see in front of you is uh, the beginning of the Alps. We do actually see three sections. Uh, three sectors. The very first part is Ligurian Alps, the Maritimes, and the Cozzie Alps. The Cozzie has a major point, uh, the, a mountain called Monviso that the local called the King, being the highest uh, mountain, but uh, many people know as the Paramount. There is a funny legend about uh, uh, the guy who did a sketch of Paramount picture design, uh, so the legend said it was coming from uh, uh, nearby barolo actually uh, a town uh, called mondovi and when I was asked him to design uh, uh, a little sketch uh, to there could be a brand uh, for this uh, this company uh his sketch uh, his sketch uh, the the monte was in within his heart. but uh, in between us and the Alps we actually have a river called Tanaro which is a very key river to understand the orography and uh, the the different denomination within uh, the area surrounding the town of Alba, uh, so basically Lange in the southern part, Roero north, and within the Lange, Barolo and Barbaresco. Uh, and in between uh, us, the river, and the Alps, uh, we do have the major plain of Italy that starts, so the Pianura Padana. So this is already defining a little bit the, the, the microclimate, so being a hill facing south, we do enjoy a beautiful light, but we also enjoy a beautiful ventilation. And uh, whenever we talk about the Nebbiolo as a grape, and so we are talking about a late ripening variety, this is making something magical, because really help us to be able to pick very healthy fruit, and not only healthy. Because they're healthy, it allows us to leave those fruit longer on the vines, so to let those fruit enjoy a beautiful uh, drop in temperature. So this Saturnal Delta, this is key uh, to help the, the aromatics of Nebbiolo to really show uh, show up. So, more technically, uh, the height of uh, Bricco delle Viole is uh, this hill that rises from 400 to 480 meters above sea level. Um, the name is very peculiar as well, because uh, Bricco is, uh, is a typical name we find a lot in the region of Piemonte. Uh, it means uh, a hill that stands out, so often in, the, in Tuscany we find the word Poggio uh, a bricco, technically, is uh, just a bit uh, higher than that, so just a bit more exposed. And bricco delle viole means the top hill of the hill of the violets. So if there is a flower, the, fl- the blue at the very first uh, flower, in a wild way within the area, uh, that is, those are violets. But the crazy thing, because uh, I say crazy because even if the violets can have an intense flavor um, they are incapable to impact the aromatics of the wines directly, like uh, maybe some other uh, plants would it be able to impact. But, well, it's uh, violet. I would say, is always one of those uh, uh, traits that in a blind tasting uh, I'm looking for. And when I do find it, uh, is, uh, it's usually uh, a very big signal that that might be... Uh, Di barolo brico delle Viole mm-hmm. so it's not only the name of the vineyard itself but the, really there is a connection with the uh, with the wine itself um, what also makes uh, very magical the brico delle Viole is uh, there is a story behind it there is a story of connection uh, among among our family and other families of the area and that's because our family is farming within brico delle Viole since uh, at least 1654. Uh, so there is a very deep connection and uh, no surprise if uh, even if our grandparents left the countryside, our father felt he had to go back and, and take care of that, uh, of those fields and that uh, and that vineyard. Uh, within Brico de Viole, we have a beautiful, beautiful heritage also in terms uh, of vineyards themselves. Uh, we are talking of many different uh, plots. Uh, the, the oldest plots uh, are Turn uh, turn this year more than uh, ninety years old, uh, but there is actually a beautiful collection of many different uh, um, stage and uh, and vines and a beautiful biodiversity within this vineyard. Beautiful, very well explained,
2: um, and I kind of miss uh, Brico del Viole more after your explanation. I must say, Francesca. Um, <laughs> Let me follow through that with another question on on Brico del Viole. Um, you like referring to it as a classic ballerina who wants to be the lightest on the stage. But also you you often suggest that it takes a lot of work trying to be the most delicate. Kindly take us to Brico del Viole again and describe to us the wines of that vineyard.
3: Sure. Is um it's very key wine to us because uh, um, in in vineyard because it's not only where everything started for our family, uh, but uh, because our grandparents left the countryside and our dad uh, restarted everything from the scratch in the late sixties. He has been uh, he really you know I would say that the delle Viole really shape the way of working within uh, um, within Vaira. Um, the fact that we are very high in elevation and those uh, fruit they enjoy a beautiful drop in temperature, and this delivers us a wine with a lot of complexity. Uh, well, um, this complexity is never against uh, a great finesse. Uh, actually, what defines fine del Viola is really—you know—I always am thinking of this image of ballerinas because uh, um, if you are ballerinas, you want to be the lightest on the stage. You know, you want to be the one that jumps the highest. And uh, and 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 land the lightest, but in order to be able to do that, there is a lot of effort. There is a lot of exercise. There is a lot of uh, training, and training is not only what we do from one vineyard to vintage to another, but it's really the training of trying to be capable to really see what is happening in front of you. Um, you know that Barolo production area back in the 80s and then 90s and maybe a little bit still early 2000 lived a very big uh, moment of a uh, big challenge and, and almost like a clash in between two groups of producer, the so-called traditional producer versus the modern winemakers. But well, before even that moment started, our father and I'm just grateful for that. He already had a clear vision what was Bricker Olivio about. In Bricco delle Viole, uh, also the super white clay we do get, uh, which are Marni di Sant'Agata Fossili, we deposit uh, from the Messignano stage, always deliver uh, a lot of finesse into the tenin' structure, but very uh, incredible tension within the structure itself and those super delicate aromatics. So the point is that you can see this piece of land as uh, one piece of uh, filigrane, no? Uh, if you're attentive, do see the train, what is underneath the white surface. But if you think you know what you do see, or how you want the wine to be, then that piece is just a piece of white paper, and you can uh, paint as much as you like. So, I would say the big challenge of Brico de Liviole uh, is about being able to see what that vineyard is really about, and then learning, uh, and keep learning, because it's an ongoing process, how you can preserve that uniqueness, how you can make that uh, train, that uh, filigree, to to show off and be more evident to everybody.
2: That that I would like to echo that, uh, Francesca, because I I I've been um, I've done a few trips to your estate and I've met your family. And one thing that that is a resonating um, message when I visit is. Uh, you're fond of the words. Your family is fond of um, saying scratching the surface. And I, I hear you say that again when you explain um, that the, the surface has to be scratched, you know, for for all of these vineyards to shine and for all of these wines to be understood. Um, and uh, I, I really love how you explain that. I also am particularly... Um, Fund of the wines coming from the lower elevation of um, the, the commune, uh, Costa de Rose. And uh, I believe that that uh, particular vineyard has a different kind of soil. So if Fabrico uh, del Viole boasts of the San Agata Marl, um, Costa de Rose is um, the other kind of soil, the Arenaria di Tiano,
3: correct? Absolutely, it is. So that's... Um... Um, So there are a few things that I would love to say, so um, Becco delle Viole is uh, the heart of Vaira but because it's a heart is what uh, allowed us to approach with even more finesse and uh, delicate uh, approach every single vineyard and so to really evaluate the uniqueness uh, of each of them. So the work we try to do at Vaira and as well as Luigi Baudana to join our family later in 2008. Is uh, not to show a style, but really to try to find unique points and uh, be able to share with uh, with more people. So, when we do talk about Costa di Rose, we are talking uh, uh, about the the second together. So, there are three vineyards, three MGA, three single vineyards within Barolo production already. They do carry a name of flowers. Uh, one is Brico delle Viole. Uh, and then, if we try to, mm, to design like a a straight line uh, going from Brico delle Viole to, let's say, to the southern and, uh, and eastern side of the brollo production era, we will find Coste di Rose and we will find Ginestra. So Bricco delle Viole, Coste di Rose and Ginestra are, are actually three vineyards, aligned among each other dedicated to three different flowers. And this is very, very unique. But uh, Coste di Rose, roses and violets usually are descriptors for wines, red wines within the Barolo production area and above all Barolo. So when in uh, 2014 we had the chance to take care of those uh, vines in Costa di Rose, for me it has been like a lovely, lovely moment because I was just curious to see uh, how that vineyard was uh, was showing up, you know. And really the, there are so many different points among Costa di Rose and Brico delle Viole. Um, first of all, we are talking, as you were uh, absolutely being super correct uh, talking about the soil, uh, we are talking about completely different soil type. So if in Brico delle Viole we do talk about uh, laminated Santa fossil Fossili Mars, uh, plus we do have some deposits of uh, Messignanic soil on the top uh, of, uh, of the vineyard, in Cosse Rose uh, we are talking of a different, slightly different geological period, so uh, the soil is, as you were probably saying, Arenaria di Diano, uh, which is a soil that had been created uh, around 10 uh, million years ago. And um, is a Tortonian sandstone uh, that we can only found uh, on the top of Canubi Hill and in tiny vales in Ravera as well, and in a narrow region between the Rocca di Castiglione and Ginestra in Monforte di Alba. Um, Costa di Rose is a lower elevation vineyard, uh, so we do farm a section that is uh, 200 uh, 17 meters up to 310 meters on the level of the sea. So we are talking about a lower vineyard, we are talking about uh, uh, east side of the hill, which is a beautiful combination because being sandy uh, the vine and giving the fact to its dry farming within our region, so it's completely forbidden to water the vine, to farm a sandy hill on an east exposure is key because uh, the two things are really helping each other. Uh, yet even if it's a lower elevation vineyard, uh, Costa di Rosa enjoy a very good ventilation and uh, it is uh, an amazing resilience uh, to the heat and drought uh, during uh, the warm um, the warm vintages. The shape of the hill itself is very peculiar because uh, when you do see the hill from the village of Brolo, you do see basically Preda as a, as a hill and if you look at the profile of the hill, the hill goes up and at one point it shows like a jump and that jump Actually, it's Costa di Rose, and that chap is a dune of pure sandy. So you walk Brico delle Viole, and you remember, you probably remember Arlene doing two steps in Brico delle Viole, and probably having the feeling you had to clean your shoes because we're not polished anymore. <laughs> correct, <laughs> correct, correct, that's well, true. I, I have to say, during the pandemic, uh, um, I behaved. I behaved very <laughs> well, but I really had the, you know, the feeling one day I, I have to put the flip-flops in the, in the back of my car, drive to Costa di Rose and pretend I have to do any kind of works in Costa di Rosa, and just put the flip-flops and walk in this sandy vineyard and pretend to be at the seaside for just uh, 10 minutes, you know? Which Uh, now
2: reminds me of what I I often hear from um, your brother's, um, uh, your brother Giuseppe has this explanation when asked to differentiate the wines of Costa di Rose and and Rico del Viole and who will, he will always refer to the wines of Rico del Viole as the wines of Pink Floyd. you know it's it's rock but it, it also is orchestra. And then the wines of Casa di Rose is for the happy joyful, charismatic that will remind you of the Beatles. <laughs> and I like how he put it he put the explanation that way.
3: Yeah, each of us, and that's the beauty of being a family business, each of us is taken into uh, into every single vineyard because, uh, and that's the beauty, you know, it's uh, we are talking to wine right now, uh, we can be hyper technical, but uh, at the end, whenever we talk about wine, what we are really trying to do is uh, create bridge, uh, bridges among people, among your experience, my experience, and uh, and experience can be you know a ballerinas or it can be you know a the rock band. Star. <laughs> it can be a textile you know it can be a fabrics it can be so many so many different things and i think uh this is why the wine world is so great you know because it's uh it's not just one thing it's way more than that there are so uh so many different aspects so many different uh, uh, way to see it and, uh, and at the same time is gaining so much, it's getting deeper, it's getting more complex, it's getting also more familiar and easy to, to explain. Exactly, We're truly a mosaic of,
2: of experiences and, and when I think of the mosaic of experiences, I am always reminded of your family, your beautiful family. Kind um, share some of your personal reflections and the story of your winemaking family including family values that shaped the the viral winemaking philosophy. Although I know that your family doesn't really like referring to philosophy because you see winemaking more as a craft rather than the philosophy. But if yes, if you can kindly share some of your uh, personal reflections and the story of your winemaking family.
3: Yeah, it's a family, you know, the very first thing I think is uh, heritage as a key word because would not be for heritage even if uh, not fully understood when our dad was a kid and was looking into his grandpa, uh, this mythical grandpa Carlin and his love for wine and his attention to the vines, uh, GD Vida wouldn't be who is right now. So I would say it's uh, about this desire to take care of a history and a tradition within the family but not only within the family because when you find it then your desire is uh, to to embrace it and you see the value and you want to, uh, to, you feel also more open to take care and carry other irritation. That is what happened with uh, Mr. Baldana. When in 2008, he asked our family and we found this, uh, uh, we met this guy who was born in a hamlet called Baldana. He was farming a vineyard called Baldana, whose surname was Baldana. And the desire was only, OK, let's put new energy and let this story keep running so that in the future, people, whenever we'll see a vineyard and we'll buy a bottle coming from Baudana, a vineyard, they will know there was actually a person where people or heritage behind it. But um, I would say there are, um, you know, this is go side by side with, uh, with a question of respect uh, and responsibility. Uh, and you can play those two words both uh, to, to the people as well as to the land. And when you work this way, uh, your approach uh, is uh, extremely careful, delicate, but very attentive. You cannot not allow yourself to stay on the surface of things. You have to dig into, you have to keep learning, you have to keep looking at. And so you were talking of a craft, uh, but as well, you know, I feel... Yeah, we are very much artisan, and um, this uh, um, I would say this feeling also came with uh, the beautiful story of the stained glass windows we do have at the winery, uh, windows that are being created uh, and put in place with a unique desire to be able to work ourselves into the beauty, to recall ourselves that wine is about beauty. The wine has a very deep social purpose. And it's to remind people we are meant for beauty. We are meant for the best. We are meant uh, also to share, to be kind. Uh, So those windows lead our parents uh, to an incredible guy whose name was uh, Costantino Ruggeri. He was actually a Franciscan monk. Uh, He was not the one they expect to meet. was, you know, somebody's crew calling the friend of the friend of the friend. But, uh, well, after two months, after the very first meeting, the guy called them back saying, the windows are ready when you come to pick them up. Those windows came at the winery. And those windows always set to me this uh, dramatic distance among uh, what the people think winemakers are, so artists, and what I feel we are, so artisans. Um, a good artisan is actually somebody mm. really capable to see the beauty. And uh, I was thinking the other day, you know, uh, um, I was looking to the table I do have in in my house, and uh, and I was thinking the story that table came. Uh, we simply had the desire to have a beautiful uh, piece of tree within the family, you know. And uh, and I remember the conversation with this carpenter, and I told him, okay, uh, this is the design of the table, but uh, there is no rush. The day you will find a tree that will fit the purpose, then mm. will be the time to make the table. And I was thinking, yes. What if this guy, instead of being able to look at the beauty, will have in his mind only the idea he have to chop a piece of wood to put into the fireplace? He will destroy destroy something that nature took uh, forever to be to be done. If not forever, at least uh, maybe a hundred years, you know? Italian
0: Wine Podcast. Brought to you by Mama Jumbo Shrimp.
3: In... And the same will be for a raw diamond and the same it is for a berry. So the point is about being um, always capable to look what is happening in front of us. Always with the eyes full of beauty and the heart full of beauty. And this is what it pushing has to work very hard within the family because uh, harvest time is not only the moment you pick and you put into the cellar. Harvest time is the moment you can learn something more. It's the moment where all the unique uh, little traits you collect through the years looking at uh, How the vines are behaving the different vineyards and everything can really take a place a moment where you can learn more about uh, the winemaking so uh, with a very very humble uh, approach uh, but a very scientific very attentive uh, full of love i would say you know when you mentioned
2: harvest um, i i I have to i am i am reminded of one of the most touching stories of harvest and um, this was your harvest in 2018. I remember uh, learning that your family did a massive amount of work by hand in 2018 because you wanted to be on time with the vines. Um, and you wanted to carry the fruit, but you didn't want to compact the soil after the raining. It was, there, there, was, there was a lot of pouring, apparently. And so you did a lot, you did the work using your hands. So um, the work that was meant to be done by the tractor, your family and your and and, and your staff did. And it was such a touching story, uh, a real story of harvest. And, and this happened in
3: 2018. Yeah, um, I started to go with my brothers 2018 as a vintage of love. Um, Nebbiolo is often like that, Nebbiolo is, uh, it's a lovely grape, and it's uh, tricky somehow, but um, not tricky in a bad manner. But more, um, it's one of those people that need to uh, to feel the love, you know, to feel loved in order to show off the best of uh, of who they are, you know. And Nebbiolo is exactly like that. I was um, driving early this year uh, to Verona. Uh, with um, my older brother Giuseppe and we were going to do an event and we were going to taste uh, 2010 vintage as uh, as Brico delle Viole and um, the people were talking a lot about 2018 many people were feeling very uncomfortable about the vintage because we had a lot of rain actually it's been a very rainy month uh, of May and then you look at the information of how 2018 has been how 2014 has been and how 2010 has been and what I'm noticing more and more is that uh, Often into the into the vintage with Nebbiolo farming, you do have a moment where things seem to be uh, very tough, where it's easier to, to say, okay, I'm done. You know, uh, I don't spend any more. I don't gonna go any more into the fields. I the vintage is compromised. And instead, if you keep putting a lot of love, uh, then you can make something amazing, because nature. It's like giving a caress to you at the, end of the, at the end of the season. So what really happened in 2018 is that we had a lot of rain in the month of May. And uh, because we do farm organic, and to us farming organic is a very holistic way of thinking. It's not only what we do give or what we don't give. It's not a paper thing. Is uh, really this desire to take care of people and nature. And feeling everything truly united since uh, the beginning and since uh, in a very deep level. So, um, we do farm, I, I do have this memory that already in the 90s, in our vineyards, I could recognize our vineyards when the school bus was driving us back home from school, because our fields were the only fields with the grass inside and the little flowers, you know. I was a baby girl, so the flowers were pretty standing out to me, but uh, it took me years to understand that, uh, you know, uh, it was not that common to keep the grass. So. We do keep the grass in order to have uh, a certain structure within the soil. And in 2018, because it was so rainy, if we would step uh, into the vineyard with tractors, we will compress too much soil, and we will kill the, the life uh, in the upper part uh, of uh, of the ground. So we decided to do everything by hand, and everything by hand uh, was done. Everything with backpack uh, to spray copper and sulfur after the rain, but. Considering the fact that beside Costa di Rosa, which is a sandy soil, from Brico de Viole to all the other vineyards, everything is clay. I don't know if you can imagine, and the people are here and ask really imagine, what is the effort at every single step? Your backpack is getting lighter in a very slow way, but every single step you do take, your boots are covered more and more of mold. and That's very heavy. So we're extremely grateful to Isidoro, our younger brother, and to all our amazing team within the fields because they have been the very first people who stepped really took care of those wines. Then the vintage turned beautiful. It has been a very, very long season. We finished to pick the berries October 22nd, I remember clearly because my third niece born that day. Uh, but uh, the wine shows an uh, incredible phenolic uh, uh, maturity, very smooth. For sure It's also vintage that prove better two things. So the importance to work with all vines and the importance of the good exposure. But because we could do everything we could, because nature really helped us with the nice ventilation. So now you could understand better why the importance of ventilation, both Brico de Liviole and Costa di Rosa, as well as Rivera.
2: Wow. Wow. That was so touching, Francesca. And and congratulations, by the way, on uh, the birth of your third uh, niece. Um and I I I had to pause and 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 really absorb everything you said I I needed a moment of reflection and I'm really looking forward to tasting the 2018. Um, I know that from the early years of your winemaking story, your family has shown great commitment to the preservation of Italian native grapes, and one of those rare grapes that fascinates is Faisa. Can you help us get to know Fraser better and describe your fraser based wine, TA? Uh, with great joy. So,
3: Fraser is, uh, is part of this heritage I was mentioning before. So, we do love Fraser because uh, our father had the desire to take care of some of the vines who belong to his grandfather. So, he started to take care of the Fraser without really nothing, knowing as much as we do know nowadays. Uh, nowadays, we know that uh, people are talking of uh, of Fraser already in the 1600s. Uh amazing book uh, written by Giambattista Croce, uh, dated 1606, uh, was talking of the Fraser. And, you know, so it's something very historical. And only a couple of years ago, we found an empty bottle that Arlene, we didn't find when we met the last time. So next time I better show you uh, better show you that, uh, that bottle. But it's a bottle. who wow. <laughs> grandfather, great-grandfather Carlin and considering the fact that uh, Carlin was making wine for the family so basically all the wine was uh, drunk bulk and uh, to find a bottle wine it's already saying something you know it was saying about the attention he had for that wine so what is written on the label is a super simple label but it's written Barbera Fresia 70 so that wine belonged to 1970, and actually, we don't really know the flavor or, or how the wine has been made back in time, but we know that for our grandfather meant a lot if he wanted to, to bottle the wine. And, uh, and well, our dad reselected some of the vines from his grandfather's vineyards and he replanted them in Brico delle Viole. Those are actually the closest vines to the winery. And, uh, and he started to make and vinify the phrase I had. It was uh, popular back in the 70s. So basically he was making a, a fizzy version of Fraser. The point is that uh, uh, the more he was farming this Fraser and the more he was uh, trying to make this fizzy Fraser, the more he was noticing that, that those wines were not uh, good to do that, not because they were not good uh, to make a wine, but because they were somehow too good to make a fizzy wine. They were delivering thicker skins. Uh, they had too thick skins to make uh, light wine. They had too low yield to make light wine. Those berry, those vine were producing and concentrated too much sugar. So instead of, uh, they were getting, they could give like a 14% alcohol while in a light uh, fizzy phrase that people were looking for maximum, uh, you know, let's say 11% alcohol. So it was trying hard to make a fizzy wine and at one point you have to give up. It was not meant uh, to make a wine like that those wine the wine his grandpa selected were not meant to deliver a fizzy and light wine so the point is that uh, he had to he had to change his mind about that and so he started to to do different kind of uh, uh, a different kind of vinification um, and uh, instead of making a fizzy version of Fraser, then he started to make uh, uh, let's say uh, a bone dry freezer lead to to deliver an uh, incredible amount of Tannins. So the only thing he could do was uh, to apply what he, he knew was uh, the best way to deal with vines uh, delivering a lot of Tannins and, uh, and a good acidity like Nebbiolo. So we started to age Freysa like we do age Barolos and uh, when this wine came on the market it was uh, absolutely a surprise. First of all because the most part of people were expecting the Freysa to be a fizzy wine and it was not. Uh, uh, second, because the color was not as light, and, uh, and third, because most part of the time, Fraser was coming into the tasting after Barolo's. And one day, a dear friend uh, of family, was, uh, is actually a German guy, instead of asking my father, what is the Fraser, he, he was talking Italian, he got wrong, and he said, who is the Fraser? And what could be a grammar mistake for the most of people, actually was uh, able to pick uh, the way we do, Deal with uh, with vines. Who is the phrase To us, vines are like human beings. Each of them has its own uh, character, uh, way of behaving, history, uh, way to be treated, and uh, and so that's how we start to call this vine wine so K-Y-E, so k y e, which is nothing but the phonetic spelling of the Italian question, who is that? Well, then that, that wine was uh, quite a shock into the community. Uh, it was actually. A nice, very a good kick to start to to study the DNA. In 2004, we got the very first result uh, about the Fraser and what uh, we have been able to discover is the fact that uh, uh, it was a connection among Fraser and Nebbiolo. And uh, this connection became even more clear in 2017, uh, when was uh, when uh, Professor Anna Schneider, which you met on the top of Brico delle Viole, uh, was able to say that right. Freysa actually is uh, one of the kids of Nibbiolo. Right now we don't know yet if it's a kid because of a mutation of the plant or because uh, of a, a cross. Long time people thought it was a cross among uh, Nibbiolo and Arvana. Uh, then now the community was able to say that uh, there, is no, there is no such a connection. Uh, but we didn't find yet, uh, in the case of cross, uh, who is the other parent. And this to us has been even more a kick to, to, to be more attentive, to preserve more biodiversity, to take care of all the different kind of varietals and try to vinify them in an amazing way so people can fall in love with them. Uh, because uh, it's so evident that if everybody's looking to, to what is mainstream and follows that, when we talk about varietals, and uh, you know, you were talking about that uh, with uh, with CV early early on. Uh, one point you turn behind, and you might have lost uh, biodiversity, and once it's lost, uh, nobody tell us that we will be able to recreate that. Uh, so, so that's why we all of us we have to to work. And thank you for what you're doing into the Philippines right now, because. Uh, uh, who knows? Maybe, maybe in some years we will find in the Philippines some some grape that finds that far away and uh, end up I being think... the other parents of Fraser. <laughs> well, you know, I think we're
2: following the same uh, early patterns of history because right now what I've been trying to do is uh, I've been visiting areas where they have been killing um, grape cultivars that are more meant for wine, more meant for winemaking because the people don't like. Ah, uh, wine grapes here. Um, they cannot sell their wine grapes because there aren't companies here that are producing wines yet out of uh, Vitus vinifera. So the farmers are trying to kill some of this um, plantations. And so that's what I've been trying to do. i'm I'm really putting the case that, yes, we can uh, produce wines of the vines that you have grown. And and hopefully, you know, perhaps not in my lifetime, Francesca, but it should happen. I, I do have belief in the terroir of this country. And I, I really believe in, in the craftsmanship and the hard work of the farming communities here. So I take a lot of inspiration from, from Italy. And I take a lot of inspiration from winemaking families like yours.
3: Well, the only thing I can promise you, Arlene, is quite a bit of white hairs. <laughs> <laughs> I need to be drinking more wines now. I need
2: to be drinking more Italian wines, um, which reminds me of your father, Aldo. I love your father so much, um, and I, I and I really uh, I have been inspired by many of his philosophies. But you know what I notice about your father is he would rather talk lovingly about you know his family about your family, um, rather than talk about wine sometimes. Can you tell us more about the future of Vira Wines and how you and your brothers are working to preserve the legacy of your father, as well as preserving the stories of the Vira Vineyards?
3: Well, uh, we do have a, a, a you know, uh, I, I call my dad uh, the Capitan. Uh, so we, I feel we are extremely, extremely lucky as uh, siblings uh, because um because we do have somebody to look at who never worked uh, staying on the surface of the things. He had to prove his parents, he was serious about what he was doing, and he couldn't learn from his father and he just had memory of his grandfather, so he tried to learn as much as he could from the local community, from the old farmers, but in real life uh, his, science, his uh, approach has been always extremely scientific and did uh, lead us uh, to, to work. Um him first, and then he passed over this this uh, sensitiveness i will i will actually use this word uh, approaching the vines and and viticulture and wine making um at a different stage i was uh yesterday i was at the winery and I don't know why i was uh, thinking I never heard my father saying we always did like that we will keep doing like that rather is about okay um yes, we try to see if there is a consistency among one year and the other, but we know that there is no consistency, 100% consistency. Uh, every vintage is going to be different. Maybe you can have the rain in May, and maybe the following year you're going to have in, uh, in July, you know? Uh, you had a lot of snow or no snow, or two years of dry weather in a row, like, uh, like uh, in these past two years. So um, the point is that uh, it's at a very high level uh, of attention and uh, and and our mom. We, you're talking about our dad, but uh, our mom, She is a bit uh, behind the scene, apparently, but she is uh, another key person uh, within our business, uh, and she definitely gave uh, an incredible, uh, delicate uh, touch and 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 point uh, point out the beauty always and and the good into the things. So the two of them. Uh, um, never push my brothers and I to do this job. They only say one thing, Uh, you have to get ready for life. And I think that uh, they've been incredible because they had to fight to do what they wanted to do. And uh, they've been uh, incredible parents because they've been open uh, to let uh, the three of us to choose what was good for us. And in this incredible way, also showing all of us uh, the good sides and the tough sides about uh, our job. I didn't mention, but in our area, uh, hailstorm are a dramatic problem. And in 1986, our parents completely lost their winery. And if I say completely, uh, the vines were completely broken by the ice in uh, in the month of uh, of May 1986. So th- they knew they knew this is uh, this is something that can uh, that can happen. So they wanted us to be free to choose. And in an incredible way, the three of us, uh, we joined, we felt was a beauty. Uh, and each of us found a beauty for a different reason and in different places. And so I'm I'm just so grateful. I mentioned about Izzy because uh, he's taking care of the vines. And uh, he's been a love, uh, a huge fan of nature and, and farming. And as for that, it's not only about the vines themselves, but it's about... Uh, you know uh, what is happening in terms of bugs in the vineyards. What is happening in terms of uh, differences of different kind of grass and herbs and flowers in all uh, varietals and uh, in the same attention and uh, an incredible precision is coming into the cellar thanks to Giuseppe. Uh, Giuseppe is our older brother. Uh, you you mentioned him before. He's, he's a lovely guy. Both of them are a lovely guy. And, uh, and I can see into the two of them the same characteristic of other parents uh, somehow even more defined. So I would say the future of Vida is in in very good hands uh, because there is love, uh, the same love that we breathe from uh, from our parents, and, uh, and there are a couple more of hands uh, willing to to build something incredible and sharing.
2: I think that what that is really what is inspiring the, the kindness signature of the Vira family and the Vyra wines. Um, you know, if I'm to describe the signature of, of your wines, I also will say that it is the energy. It is that energy in your wines. There is something in the nerve of your wines, for sure. And when drinking your wines, one can be reminded that wine is indeed alive, that it breathes, and, and because it breathes, it must have a heart. So where do you think the heart of viral
3: wines lies? Probably it's a very tough question, this Arlene. <laughs> I am tough. <laughs> I'm <not that> ready. <laughs> but um yeah, I, I'm grateful for what you point out because uh I noticed on myself I love wines that are alive. I love wines that are they do have a soul. And if you find it out, I'm I'm grateful that uh, uh somebody else find it out and um, I would say it's really trying to uh, to let what is really is going on to be to shine out um I mentioned before the image of diamond but, uh, uh, but think of a raw diamond you know when you find it out is uh, not so evident sometimes you know it's not so perfect and uh, only the one who can see the diamond can work out the sites and let the uniqueness really uh, blew out and comes out so you need to be very attentive you need to have a, uh, a clear vision at the same time um, and, and delicate and then i would say is a, is a mix probably of microclimate exposure um, attention into into the cellar uh, that really let the, this uniqueness to, to comes out
2: I hope I I answer you. Hi. I am sorry. Um, Okay. So um, we have a few minutes left, and I don't know if we have questions from our audience uh, this evening. But um, let me just um, mention to the audience um, the words that I found on your website, which I think really sums it up very well. Viral wines are wines that do not need to talk out loud or flex their muscles. I love that, Francesca. (laughs) But they will touch the hearts of all. And I truly, truly believe that. And I, I wish for many people in this platform that, are, that have stayed to listen to us will someday have the opportunity to visit your estate in Alba and to have the opportunity of tasting your wines the same way that I had, uh, I had the privilege in the past few years. And um, thank you so much, uh, Francesca. It's an incredible honor to share this platform with you today. And I'd like to thank Stevie for this wonderful opportunity for, for us to be connected after yes. many years.
3: Yeah, grazie mille. Uh, grazie Stevie for this opportunity and Arlene for uh, for taking the opportunity. Uh, you know, so many beautiful people I know and, uh, and thank you for picking us among uh, all of them. I hope. Uh, I was, uh, uh, I was able to pass uh, also this tradition of, uh, of the good people, of the big heart of the people in the winemaking world that is capable to cross the country and cross the time and, uh, and stay within the hearts. So, grazie mille, veramente, e grazie a tutti. Grazie mille, grazie mille.
1: So, you guys, that was so wonderful. I, I feel like you guys can go on forever.
3: That's why we need you, (laughs) Stevie.
1: I know. But but we have run out of time, unfortunately. But Francesca, I do have a question before we go. Um, Can you just give us an overview of how many wines you produce, like how many labels, and perhaps a little bit of the production and the range? Because, of course, you do produce many, many wines, um, just so that for the audience who are less familiar.
3: Sure, Absolutely. So um, that's why I was saying, Arlene, the only thing I can guarantee are white hairs, because biodiversity, you have to choose to see biodiversity, and then you have to embrace, and you cannot do average, you have to do at the best. So right now, um, super briefly, we do make uh, 20 different wines. Um, Some of them are super niche production, because uh, uh, with Arlene, we're talking about Costa di Rose, and we're talking about production that stays uh, below uh, 5,000 bottles, and uh, the Fraser is 6,000 bottles, and Brichard is a bit bigger, but uh, not all the fruit goes into Barolo Brichard the the ones that are coming from vines from 10 to 20 years old, to 10 to 30, 35 years old, they will go into our classic Langenibbiolo. Um, so, the desar is uh, basically the range is the splitting in three parts. Is a side that we do call Ampeloscopio which is a neologism, and it holds together all the crazy things we do make. Um, and then what are the classics? So beautiful taking into the classic Dolcetto, Barbera, and Nibbiolo, pure version, pictures of the grapes. And then we have a section of what we do call the vineyard selection. And those are the vines coming. that are older than 30 years old. And into this vineyard selection, we do have both the Fresa, and the Dolcetto, and the Barbera, and the Nibbiolo. Uh, and so basically the single vineyard Sparolo. Why this distinction is because uh, we do evaluate the complexity and the biodiversity within uh, and the differences among the different varietals, but the age of the vines, that is another key aspect to us. And when the vines are getting older, what we notice is that they do not only deliver the sense of varietals, but they are able to carry a sense of place. Um, This leads us to a crazy number of uh, fermentation per year, uh, so we are doing more than 160 fermentation per year, sometimes our very small fermentation. And that is the only way to try to see uh, if the diversity we notice uh, happening within the vineyards really has an effect or a different layout, uh, a different outcome at the end of the fermentation. Sometimes I also have to say you have to give up your hands and you notice that nature had its own equilibrium and the only thing you have to do is to respect that and to reblend. blend uh, everything together. So, so it's about that. It. Okay. Yeah. And in terms of production
1: volume, how many bottles do you produce? Just so, so that we can understand the largeness of uh, the size of your winery.
3: So we were definitely, um, above, uh, uh, the 500, uh, thousand bottles per year. Mm-hmm. Uh, production can be higher in, if you look at the surface. But uh, in real life, uh, it's uh, as I was saying, we do love to work with older vines, so of course the yield, they go very down. I just I'd pick an example, we didn't mention Dolcetto, but uh, Dolcetto Costa and Uh basically uh, the vines are 40 years old. And with the old fruit of one vine, we are able to make no more than one bottle of wine. So. Uh, this uh, range is what really allowed us to do some crazy things like this luchetto or keep farming the fraser, and in uh, trying to to make them from the older vines.
1: And um, are all of your grapes estate grown, or you, do you purchase also grapes from others?
3: So we, I would say that we do have everything is estate grown because mm-hmm. uh, it's very key to us uh, farming organic. To farm in a certain manner, and it's not only a a question of a year, but it's a longer, uh, longer, way longer process than that. Um, In case uh, it it might happen, Uh, it might happen that we do purchase something, and that is uh, only in purpose because we wanted to uh, to be more familiar with maybe that soil type and uh, that varietals uh, or uh, things like that is uh is not the core of uh, of our production at all yes. and
1: h- and how many hectares
3: yeah uh, so uh it's uh, it's almost uh, 90 hectares uh, mm-hmm. farm and uh, and we do have uh, a beautiful amount of uh, boots as well uh so through the years when i was a little kid uh, our dad was farming organic oats uh, now it's everything is very much focused uh, and uh, on, on vines. Mm-hmm. But anytime we do have the opportunity to take care of woods, that's something uh, we we feel is uh, is very important. Uh, we're doing very interesting studios on uh, how um, the the different bugs and uh, wild uh, flowers and herbs uh, they are changing also whenever you farm near by the woods or uh, far away from woods and things like that. Yeah.
1: okay, very good.
3: Listen, Francesca, thank you so much. We've run out of time. Thank you
1: very much, Arlene. Congratulations on everything that That's you're doing. Great. It sounds wonderful. And hope to see you both very soon in Verona here or there. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Ciao, Happy Laika. Thanksgiving. Bye.
2: Bye. 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 Ciao, Bye. Laika.
0: Ciao,